listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. If you have a Bible, a copy of God's Word, would you uh, turn with me to Philippians chapter 1? And if you don't have a Bible, uh, we also have some of your faithful ushers who are walking up and down the aisle. If you just want to shoot a hand up, if you need a Bible, I'm sure they can get one uh, to you. Um, I, I bring you... Warm greetings from Harvest Oakville. Uh, Thank you so much for hosting me here. I've met so many wonderful people and your hospitality has just been wonderful. And and as Melton said, I came here three and a half years ago when you were, uh, it it seemed like you were doing a lot of eating, but I think you were having training as well. Uh, It was a great time of community together and to be a part of that and to see what God was doing and yet also at the same time to just be curious. Okay, what's this gonna look like a year from now and two years from now and three years from now? And, And since I don't ski and since I don't snowboard, I think I never got the invite to come out here, but, but I did this year because I think our ski and snowboard guy was unavailable at our church. And so really, really thankful to be here uh, today. The book of Philippians, it begins this way, and I think this is really, really bang on with the heart of our church in Oakville for you in Kelowna. And I thought I would read that by way of leading us into our text uh, this morning. Uh, Beginning in verse three, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers of me of grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for all of you with the affection in Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more and more with the knowledge and all discernment so that you may be able to approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. That is a great way to describe how Harvest Oakville feels about Harvest Kelowna. We are enormously excited for what God is doing here. We are enormously thankful to come alongside you and partner in you, even if just through prayer, to support you in that way, and excited and thankful to hear of all that God is doing in this wonderful community that God continues to move in, and how exciting it is that the darkness is pushed back as the gates of hell cannot prevail. Uh, We also should mention that we are seriously very thankful for your senior pastor, Uh, For Melvin and Charlotte, so thankful for them and for what uh, God has done in their lives. Uh, Melvin fits a unique mold within our church planting mix. He he brings a levity and yet a seriousness at the same time. And so we're really thankful for him and and thankful to come and to stand in your place uh, today. Uh, Well, Philippians, the book, let's get into our text, comes to us uh, because of a care package that was sent to a prison cell. Philippi, the city, and if you were from Philippi, you would be called a Philippian, hence the name of the book. Like, I'm from Burlington, Ontario, and so I'm a Burlingtonian. Uh, Philippi, the city, had heard that Paul was locked up and in jail, probably in Rome, and they decided that they would send him some stuff. Because back then, when you were locked up in jail, jail was not responsible to pay for your daily needs. Jail was not going to feed you. Jail was not going to give you clothing. Jail was not going to give you shoes. Jail was not going to give you money. Jail was not going to do that. 
You had to provide your own way to do that. And so he's locked up without clothes, without a pen, without food, without peanut M&Ms, the essentials of life, the stuff that you really need, you know. And so Philippi hears that Paul is locked up and that he's in jail with, with no food, no blanket, no clothing. And they say, we've got to do something. And so they put together a care package. And like today, when you send off a care package, maybe to a student in university, uh, when they get that care package, they write you back and say, thank you so much for what you gave me. Thank you for the gift, and let me share what's going on. So that happened about 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, when a guy by the name of Paul got a package from some Philippians. He wrote them back, and we've got the letter in front of us. Now, thus far in Philippians, Paul has been talking about the encouragement and the partnership for the gospel. He's mentioned how thankful he is for them, thankful for their service, thankful for their sacrifice, and thankful for the good report he hears of how much they love one another and about how the gospel is going forward from them. And then he lets them know how he's been praying for them, praying that this love that they have, this unique special love, would grow more and more and more and more as a community in what God is doing. But now the letter turns from the, hey, thanks for the care package, I'm praying for you, to now, I should probably tell them how I'm doing as well. I should probably let them know what's going on in my life. They're probably sitting there in Philippi thinking, I wonder how Paul is doing. Paul's been rocked, locked up in Rome. Is he okay? Is he safe? Does, we need to send him something. He probably doesn't have a blanket. He doesn't have food. He doesn't have money to buy these things. We need to get this to Paul. You got to understand that this was in certain times for believers. It's not like today, not like in our culture right now. This is uncertain times. Persecution is beginning to dial up. Followers of Jesus are getting locked up. Some are getting beaten. Some are having their property seized from them. Some are getting tossed to lions in Rome. The government is getting more and more and more hostile to Christians. When they looked forward into the future, it wasn't as certain as the past was. It wasn't as safe as the past was. It's not like today. Or maybe it is like today. As the government begins to dial up persecution, as the persecution from those around us begin to dial up, as the name of Christ gets more and more defamed and maligned and persecution ratchets up, Paul writes this note. I think we can relate. Well, in this passage in front of us, which I'm going to read, I promise, it's almost like Paul raises this hand, and then he raises this hand, and then he says, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. And even if I'm not going to be okay, everything is going to be okay. Because it's not about me. It's about the gospel. And the gospel is advancing. And the great truth for us this morning is that nothing and no one will ever stop the gospel. Regardless of what the enemy puts up in front, nothing and no one will ever stop the message of life in Jesus Christ. Now let's look at our text. Verse 12. This is the passage we're going to carve through today. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. 
And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. And in verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. This is an uncertain time for Paul, but in all the ways that matter, for the follower of Christ, there is no question what is going to happen. For us today, in all the ways that matter, there is no question about what is going to happen. The gospel cannot be stopped. That's the big truth for us today. I want to walk us through this passage by cutting it in half and showing you first, how does this unstoppable gospel advance? First, this, notice the gospel will advance in prison. Prison can't stop it. Prison can't stop it. Now let's go through this verse by verse. My authority comes from the authority of God's word. Uh, this is not the generated wisdom of, of a 41-year-old man here. This is the wisdom and the truth of God's word that we sit under its authority, the this morning, and so let's dive in and soak up its words for wisdom for our lives. Uh, verse 12, look at, look at how he starts. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, and what has happened to him, well, it's there in verse 13, and it's there in verse 14. He's in jail. He's locked up in prison. And he says, what has happened to me ha that has actually served to advance the gospel. What's he saying here? He's saying this, being in jail, being locked up in prison is actually moving the gospel forward. It's a good thing. Now, now just pause for a second, because that just doesn't seem right. If you're, the early, if you're one of the early church members, not Paul, and you're hearing that Paul's locked up in jail and he writes the note, hey, guess what? Being locked up in jail has been a good thing for me. You would back up and say, what? That doesn't seem to make any sense at all. This is Paul, the man, the myth, the legend. This is the apostle Paul. He's planted by now dozens of churches. He's been jailed several times, got out every time. He's gone through a couple of shipwrecks at this time. A couple of shipwrecks. Uh, he stood before kings and proclaimed the gospel. This guy's the man. This guy's like the Michael Jordan of the early church. And when you lock up, when you bench your MVP, you start to lose games. So it sounds counterintuitive. What's going on here? This sounds like this is the worst possible outcome of all. Paul's been locked up. Oh no, what are we going to do? But then Paul says, what, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. You know what he's saying there? Jail's been good for me. Jail's been good for me. To which we say, What? How's that? Verse 13. Because it had become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Now that phrase there, imperial guard, that's the praetorian guard. Do you know who these guys are? These guys are the emperor's personal bodyguard. They're the inner circle around the emperor. A completely loyal to him and him alone. And, and if you're in the elite special forces ops 
of a military, you do not look like me. Okay, you might have the height of me, but you're going to have just a teensy bit more muscle mass. You're going to have a little bit teensy bit more meanness to you. You're going to be strong. You're going to be a trained fighter, a monster of a man. This is the Praetorian Guard. And Paul, when he appeals to Caesar and goes to Rome, he is locked up with these monstrous men. Picture giant men. Elsewhere in scripture, Paul tells us that that, that he has weak eyes. So a squinty-eyed Paul locked up with giant people. Uh, and, And here's something about this too. When the Praetorian Guard guards you, do you know what they do? They don't put you in a cell and lock you up. They put you in a cell, yeah, and they lock you up, yeah, but then they walk in there with you, sit down, tradition tells us, and lock themselves to you. And they sit with you for that shift. And then the next monster man comes in, unlocks it, and then the guard is exchanged. So can you picture this? Can you picture what's going on? This soldier, these big burly guys, locked up to the Apostle Paul. I, 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 kinda, I think about this, and this, this kind of makes me laugh, because here's Paul, he's locked in, squinty-eyed Paul, you know, beaten up, tossed around, locked up in jail in Rome. And he's got a chain on his arm and the guard unlocks a chain and then in comes new guard for the day. And the guy comes in, blocks out the sun as he walks in, sits down, locks himself up and you can picture Paul going, hi, we're not talking, you and I. One hour passes. Can I just, no, we're not talking. Two hours pass. So what are you locked in here for anyways? And the Apostle Paul. Well, we have 10 hours. Would you like to know why I'm in here? Would you like to know what's happening to me? Would you like to know about this Jesus Christ? What does he say? It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Can you, can you picture the lunch break? When they come out, the, these guards, they grab their cup of Tim Horton's coffee, sit down at the table and say, boy, that guy in cell two, he talks a lot, doesn't he? Yeah, he talks a lot about this Jesus guy, doesn't he? Interesting. It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. What's happening here? Prison can't stop the gospel. That's what's happening here because nothing stops the gospel. You can lock up the MVP, so it seems, and the gospel still gets out. Nothing will stop it. Now, I know you're in Philippians chapter 1, but would you do me the favor of flipping over a couple pages to the end of the book in Philippians chapter 4? Trust me, it's worthwhile. It's super fun. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, the very, very end of the book, as Paul closes out his letter, his little thank you for the care package, and he turns, look at verse 21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you, and all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Huh. Now I wonder how that happened. See what's happening? The gospel is getting out even into places. Could Paul stand in Caesar's household and share the gospel? No. 
But the Lord uses Paul to connect with these guards who then walk into Caesar's household and share the gospel. The gospel cannot be stopped. You anxious about how I'm doing? Paul writes, don't worry, don't worry. I'm doing great because me being in jail means that the message of Jesus Christ gets to go places where I could never go. I'm chained up, but the gospel is wild and free. It goes places I can never go. Who knows what will happen to me, Paul says, but the gospel, sure as the sun rises, cannot be stopped. But notice there's another good reason why Paul is saying, jail's been great. Look at verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are now much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now what's happening to those around Paul in Rome that are not in prison. They see the MVP going to jail, and what's happening to them? Are they running in fear? What does the text say? I want you to look at these three key words that are here. This is found in verse 14. They're becoming confident. They're becoming much more bold. They're acting without fear. All three of these things are synonymous. What they're saying is, let's do this. Let's do this. What's happened is in the forest of life, this giant oak tree has fallen down. It has been taken down by the enemy, so it would seem. And now as it drops, now the light comes in more, and us as little saplings begin to rise up. You want to preach the gospel? I don't want to preach the gospel, but someone's got to do it because Paul's locked up. The preaching of the gospel occurs. And this is like, this is like every, when I think of this, I think about every good sports movie that was ever made, okay? Do you know what happens in the good sports movie? Every good sports movie that's ever made, this is what happens. The main player gets knocked out, right? A big hit. A, he, he gets hurt in a car accident or something. And he's there on the sidelines with the crutches. And the whole team's gathered around. And they're like, what are we going to do? How are we going to win this? We don't have the MVP. And then they all gather around and they say something cheesy like, let's go out there and win this for Paulie. Every good sports movie has that thread. This is what's happening here. Someone's got to get the gospel out. Let's go out there. Let's do this. Let's share Christ. And the Lord and the Lord in his spirit fills the believers and they're emboldened to step up and speak the word without fear. And the enemy says, "Uh-oh. Well, I guess that backfired." How's prison been, Paul? fantastic because the gospel message is going places where it would never go if I was free and the believers around me are stepping up and sharing the word of Christ with boldness like they've never had before because guess what you can lock me up says Paul you can throw away the key but you will never stop the mission and the message of Jesus Christ it doesn't stop. A prison can't stop it because nothing stops the gospel's advance. Now, before we leave this point and we move on, uh, I want to share this with you as a follower of Christ. As the new year turned, I got this little acronym in my, or this little image in my head of a boat that's moving. There's the boat. Of, it looks so much better than what was in my notebook. It, 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 uh, thinking through things in my life. Okay, what are the practices? What are the things? What are the behaviors that are in my life that, that are dragging me away from Christ? And if I've got behaviors that are dragging me away from Christ, then I've got to cut those and get rid of them. And what are those things that are distracting me? They're, they're not bad, but I'm taking, they're, they're, they're really strong priorities. And instead of distract, I've got to bring those back into line. And then what are the things that drive me to Christ? And I need to be doing those more and more and more and more. Now, do you know what Paul did in these verses? Paul did something really profound in the verses. If we can keep this up for a second. He says this. He says, 
you thought, Philippi, that me being locked up in jail was actually dragging me away from the mission. But instead, the hardship and the difficulty and the pain was driving me to Christ. So the question I have for you then this morning is what prison are you in right now? What prison are you in right now that you think is dragging you away from a following after the Lord with all your heart? What difficulty, what trial, what circumstance, what person in your life that you're just like, if I could just get this person fixed, if I could just have this situation solved, then I could pursue you with all my heart, Lord. If I could just get this situation in my life figured out and solved, if I knew what my next step was, then I could follow you with all my heart, Lord. What if, what if God has brought you something into your life that you think is a drag that he actually wants to use to drive you closer and closer to him and to walk with him like you've never walked with him before? To humble you, to break you, to use you, maybe even to place you in places where the gospel would never go. To place you in the cancer clinic where, where, where no one would hear the gospel. To place you in the school where no one would hear the gospel. To place you in the courtroom. To place you in that family that's so difficult. With those parents that don't get it. With that son or daughter that doesn't get it. With that husband, that wife that doesn't get it. And yet so hard. But it's the place the gospel can get to because you're there. And then when you're there to fire up other believers around you to step up. And to take hold of the mission of Jesus Christ. What is it that God is doing in your life? What prison are you in now? Paul says, listen, the gospel, it can't be stopped. Prison, it can't stop it. Do you think that bars can stop this? You see, citizens of heaven back up and they realize maturity takes hold. This is a moment of maturity in the believer's life. To step back and say, you know what? These trials, these difficulties, these pains, these heartaches, they're not meant to destroy me. They're not meant to remove me away from the grace of God. They're meant to draw me closer to the grace of God. That in the midst of the storm, I might find him sufficient for all of my needs. That his grace is overwhelming in my life. And the gospel advances step by step. Nothing stops the gospel. Prison can't stop it. But let's move on into our text, verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Here's the next big truth that Paul wants to tell us. The gospel can't be stopped. We know that prison can't stop it. Here's the second thing I want to show you is that pretense can't stop it. Pretense can't stop it. Now that's a word I just grabbed right from the text and it was cool because it had a P on the front of it. It literates, which is nice, but that's not a word that most of us use a lot. You don't talk about pretense. So what does it mean? It means this in the Greek and it means this in the English. It means pretending. It means putting on a, on a false front to something that's actually happening behind the scenes on the interior. So here's a good use of pretense. You come to Ontario and you visit with my family. We're, we're, I have three little kids under the age of 10. And, and, and we have a van that is 10 years old. 
And, and you saw my van in the driveway shined up. The, I mean, the tires got that spray on them to make them super black and wet looking all the time. And, and you know, I've got the chrome polish. And you were to look on the outside of the van and you would say, wow, that van must be really clean on the inside. <laughs> you would have fallen for my pretense. Because you, you would need to know that I have three kids and that there are about 100 pounds of goldfish crackers on the floor mashed in and you wouldn't enter my van without a tetanus shot. Okay, that's, that's a pretense that I've shown you. And Paul's saying here, even the outward external polishing hiding an inward reality, even that, even sinful motives preaching the gospel won't stop the gospel. What's Paul saying here? Even fake reasons, even bad motives, even ill will won't stop it. Now let's dig in to this section and look what God's word has for us. Verse 15 again, some indeed preach Christ, preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. Some, Paul says, are actually preaching the gospel because they are resenting the success and contending with someone else. They're looking around and they're seeing it's a competition. And they've got to win this competition. But who are they competing against? Look at verse 17. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. They're competing with Paul. They want to hurt Paul. They want to rub salt in the wounds. Do you know how this comes up? We're sharing Christ in a city. Oh, Paul was here last week. Paul, Paul, Paul is great. Paul's amazing. What do you mean? Well, let's talk about Paul. Paul did this. Paul did that. You know what? I can preach like Paul. You know, I got the message of the gospel. I'm like Paul. Look at all this Paul stuff everywhere. I, I could teach too, you know. Everyone makes such a big deal about this Paul set. The, 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 the common ground of winning people to the Lord Jesus Christ is now supplanted by rivalry. A competition now. The common goal of the gospel, Paul says, for some had now been replaced by looking to take Paul down. You gotta be kidding me. This is fleshly ministry of the gospel. This is self-display. Look at me while I serve. The advancement of me at the expense of you. This is others are getting passed. I need to do something too. Others are getting praised. I should be praised too. Others' gifts are affirmed. They're a preacher. They're a teacher. They're a servant. They've got wisdom. Well, I got preach. I got wisdom. I can do things. I will cut you down. I will talk about you behind your back so I can advance myself. And you back up and you say, that's, that's disgusting. That stuff happens in churches. Yeah, it does. Even in the early church. Not everyone felt this way, though. Back to 15. Some indeed preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. Some were preaching Christ because they loved Paul. They loved this man. And they saw themselves as little trees standing up and growing in his absence. Paul can't preach the gospel. Somebody should get out there and preach the gospel. What about you? I, I can't preach the gospel. I've never done that before. But you know what? I love Paul. And I'm going to get out there and preach the gospel. The gospel's got to get out. And if it's not Paul, then it better be me. Now, I just want to pause here for a second. Because I've been saying this phrase gospel for the entire message. And I'm just taking it for granted maybe that you know what that word means. Um, I just want to take a moment, if I can, and just unpack 
this word. Uh, in, in the Old English, um, this word comes to us, the word gospel, uh, is, it, it comes from this God spell, I don't know how you pronounce it, and, and, and they just, they, you can see how they, they drop the, the D out of that, which just, it just means good news. And that was a direct translation from this phrase in the Greek, euangelion, which means good news. And you can even see that word right now. If you take the U out of euangelion, you see evangel, of which we get a lot of our words in English, evangelical, evangelize. It means the good news. It's good news centric. So the gospel, when we're talking about the gospel, we could interchange it with the phrase good news. But what is the good news? What is the good news? Well, I think you can summarize it with just four words. And there they are. These four words, by the way, answer the most critical questions in all of life. Like the first word, who made us? Who is responsible for me? Who, to whom am I accountable to? This first word, God, states that God is the creator and therefore we belong to him. Everything that has been made has been made by him. He owns everything, including us. My life, I am not autonomous. I belong to him. God, second word, sin, answers the question, well, what's the problem with the world around us? Left and right, there's pain and hurt and heartache. What's the problem with the world? Sin, not, not, not my bad thoughts, but a breaking of a relationship with God. And, and, and my sin pulls me away from this God who has loved me so much and I need God not just to forgive my sins but to restore me to a place of righteousness. I'm far from him because of my sin. God, sin, third word, Jesus. Okay, so what's the solution to the pain and the heartache of this world? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ in his life, in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection guarantees for us a life eternal with him clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We are now welcomed in as sons and daughters of God. God, sin, Jesus, for Fourth word, response, the last question. How do I get that then in my life? By turning away from myself and turning by faith and trusting in Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith. Some of you have heard this before. I, maybe most of you have heard this before. Maybe one or two of you, this is the first time. Some of you have heard it a ton, but you know what this truth is? This truth is a toothbrush truth. It should be in your life in the morning and it should be in your life in the afternoon and maybe even between meals. Every single day you draw breath. This gospel needs to be in your life. You need to run your life with the knowledge of the real, true, good news. Do you know why this is true? This is true because every single day of your life you will preach some kind of good news to yourself. Every day when you wake up and you face the hardship and the difficulty and there's struggles with your health or struggles with your kids or struggles at your work or struggles with your spouse or struggles with your house or with your car or struggles in the world, you look out and you have to preach some kind of good news to yourself. So what's the good news you'll preach? Many of us will preach the good news, the gospel of possessions. We'll say, you know what? Uh, uh, this is the good news. Life is hard, difficult, painful. But you know what the good news is? is? If I get more stuff, it'll feel better. If I can just get that purchase, if I can just buy that house, if I can just take that trip, if I can just get this in my life, it will make things better. Some of us preach the gospel of possessions to ourselves. Some of us preach the gospel of pleasure. If I could just have this experience, this taste, this pleasure, if I could have that, more of that in my life, then life will be good. Life is hard, but if I could live for that, then life will be great. Gospel of 
pleasure? What about the gospel of achievement for some of us? You know, it's hard right now where I am, but if I can just get to the next level, if I can just get away from this garbage place I'm in right now and succeed in this and achieve in this, then it will be better and then life will be better. All the hardship will go away because I will have achieved something. Maybe achieved something with my kids or maybe achieved something personally or maybe achieved something in my marriage or achieved something in my workplace. Whatever it is, if I work hard enough, I can get out of it. That's my gospel. What about this? The gospel of significance. If I was just known, if people realized how, if he realized how hard I worked with these kids every day, if she knew what I'm going through at work, if my boss realized what an amazing gift I am to the company, gospel of significance. What about this? The gospel of the ideal. You sit in the morning and there's no escape. You can't seem to get out of it. You can't seem to buy your way out of it or please your way out of it or achieve your way out of it. So you sit there with your cup of coffee and you stare out the back window and you think if life would be different, if only I hadn't married that man. If only I didn't have that child, right? If only I didn't have that problem. If only I had a little bit more money. You preach the gospel to yourself that morning. The gospel of the ideal. What about the gospel of escape? I've got two more for you. The gospel of escape. If I can just get out of this. If I can just get away, then it will be better. Get away from him. Get away from her. Get away from this dead-end job. Get away from this place I'm living in. If I can just get away gospel of escape. The other one is the gospel of health. If I could just have the old me back. If, I didn't sound, if it didn't sound like fireworks cracking in my joints when I get out of bed in the morning. If I didn't have that persistent illness. If I didn't have that crisis in my health. If I didn't have that crisis in my friend's health or my family member's health. You preach this gospel and you have to preach one of these things. Uh, some kind of good news to yourself every morning because when you look to the left and you look to the right, bad news is everywhere. Difficulty is everywhere. The world is suffering under the consequences of sin. So there has to be some kind of good news. Every day the struggle with life, the difficulty with kids, the difficulty with your workplace, you have to preach some kind of gospel to cope with your life. And the heart longs for more. And listen, the longing of the heart for more is not a wrong thing. But the trouble is the heart doesn't know what it needs because the heart is broken too. And Paul, from the jail cell in Philippi, clinging to the bars, calls out, that's why we preach the real good news. The real one, God, sin, Jesus, response. That's why we declare the real good news because the only hope in life and death is Jesus Christ and his work for us. This world is difficult, hard, and painful, yes, but the hope of Christ guarantees us something greater and greater. The real good news that Paul says that you and I were created by God and for God, but that sin has broken this relationship in our hearts and in our relationship with him, and we sit alienated and judged by God, but the good, good news of God is that Jesus Christ in his infinite mercy came to earth, suffered and died, bore the wrath of our sin against himself, and now clothed in the righteousness of God, we walk by faith and repentance, turning to him and find a life that we could only dream of. That's the real good news. God, sin, Christ, response. That's the gospel. That's what Paul cares about the most. The real good news. Now look with me again at verse 15. I want you to look as we walk through this. What is the thing that Paul cares the most about 
in, in, in jail when he hears these news. Uh, verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Now look at this verse 18. What then? What do I do with that? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. It doesn't take a biblical scholar to figure out what Paul loves the most about the news he's received. Look at what he cares about. Look at what gives him the most joy. It's the proclaiming of Christ. You can imagine, can't you, the Philippians? We're told later in the book of Philippians that a guy by the name of Epaphroditus brings the care package. And you can imagine he walks in with the care package and he opens up. Paul's like, oh, blanket. I needed a blanket. That's great. A pen. Oh, that's wonderful. Slippers. Oh, it's freezing in here. Yeah, peanut M&Ms, you guys. And then you can imagine Epaphroditus saying, oh, Paul, I'm sorry. I, 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 gotta, I, gotta, I got some bad news to share with you. Okay, what is it? What is he? Well, Paul, um, when you've been gone from Philippi, some guys are, 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 are pretty envious of you, and they're, and they're, and they're jealous of you, and, and they're saying you know, stuff. Well, what are they saying? They're saying, you know, like, who is this guy, Paul, and why is he the only one who can preach, and why can't we be preachers too? And there's a real envy and a jealousy there. And you can imagine Paul saying, so wait, they're attacking me? You're telling me that they're, they're attacking me. I, I plant that church. Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. And they hate me? Yeah. And they're preaching the gospel? Yeah. But, but the, it's the real gospel, right? Like God, sin, Jesus, response, right? Like they're saying the real gospel. Well, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're sharing the real gospel. They're not mixing that up. But they're, but they're well, that's fantastic, says Paul. That's fantastic. Let them go ahead then. I don't care if they like me. I don't care if they hate me. If they preach the gospel, that's amazing. You see, Paul, for Paul, it's not about him. It's not about him at all. He says, I don't care if they're pretending. I don't care if they hate me. If the gospel's going forward, then great. The gospel's going forward. Don't you see? Don't you see? The gospel can't be stopped. Even the lies and the pretense and the false fronts can't stop the message of the gospel because nothing stops the gospel, the real gospel. God, sin, Jesus, response. Paul says, you can lock me up. You can throw all the hate on me you want. You won't stop the truth of who this Jesus is. It's not about me. It's about him. You think bad-mouthing can stop this? No, I don't think so. I don't care what you think about me, Paul says. All I care about is the gospel. This unstoppable force going forward. You know what maturity says? Maturity steps back and realizes that the gospel message is not about us. And that the only opinion of us that really matters and will really last is God's opinion of us. And that our lives are lived on mission for the gospel. It doesn't matter what anyone says. In our, in our passage today, Paul raises his hand. Raised this hand, and then he raised this hand. And he says, it's going to be okay. Uncertain times, I know, but it's going to be okay. I'm good. And you know what? Even if I'm not okay, even if something happens to me, it's going to be okay because it's not about me. It's about the gospel. And the good news of Jesus Christ is advancing and nothing will ever stop it. But here's the thing. As believers, we get lost, don't we? 
We get lost in our trials, in our, in our difficulties. We struggle with those false gospels. We preach wrong good news to us on a daily basis and sometimes hourly basis. We starve ourselves for the real thing. Greg Gilbert wrote in this great book, he wrote this, an emaciated, that means a hungry, starving, malnourished gospel leads to a hungry, starving, malnourished worship. It lowers our eyes from God to self and cheapens what God has accomplished for us in Christ. The biblical gospel, the real thing, by contrast, is like fuel in the furnace of worship. The more you understand about it, believe in it, and rely on it, the more you will adore God, both for who he is and what he has done for us in Christ. Some of us today are starving and hungry for the real good news. And our lives are telling the story that we're starving and hungry. But the gospel, the real gospel, calls you to the bigger and soul-satisfying mission of faith in Jesus Christ. To see yourself as a citizen of heaven and to recognize that trials and difficulties and oppositions are opportunities by God to advance the gospel in our lives and in the lives of those around us. That your jail sentences can be turned into boldness for him. And a citizen of heaven recognizes that the only opinion of us that matters is the one that God has of us. And our lives need to be shaped on point for this mission, to find the real joy in the pursuit of the real deal. Nothing stops the gospel. And when you realize this, and when you embrace it, your heart will find real boldness and real joy in your life. Let me pray.